How many of you love the Bible today? Do you love the Word? Well, let's uh, stand together and we're going to read Matthew 1, 18 through 21, and then Acts 2, 36. And I want to talk to you today about something that um, has become very important to me over the years, and that is that we understand who Jesus really was and is. And so let's, uh, let's look at this, and why don't you read it with me if you'd like. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. And before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream, and God's angel spoke in the dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. Everybody say, wow, because there is Christmas, all right? It goes on, God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him what, everybody? So the angel commanded Joseph what to name the child? Jesus. And what does it mean? God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch for this, Isaiah told us. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. And they will name him what, everybody? Emmanuel, which is Hebrew for God is with us. Now let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Here is Simon Peter's first message. And look at what he tells the people. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you'll bless it to our hearts. Make it real to us. And for those who don't know you, I pray, birth in them by the power of your Spirit, Jesus. And we thank you for it. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them Merry Christmas today. Now, I want to talk to you about the name of Jesus today and just Bible names in general. The use of names in Bible times, especially in Old Testament times, carried much more significance than in our day. A lot of times we name our children and we don't know what the name means. We just like the name. I'm still trying to understand some of them, the Hollywood couples are naming their kids. Apple and pear and fruity and nutty and you know, how, you know what I'm saying. Space cadet and but in the Old Testament, it was very intentional what you name a child. People often used names to reveal something about the characteristics of or nature of the individual, and God did too. So you would often get a word from God about your child. God would speak to you about this child, and you would name the child according to what you believed God was speaking over them. And the name often had everything to do with their destiny and their calling. For instance, let me give you an example. God changed the name of Abram, which meant high father, 
to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. God bothered to change his name because the name change was in line with his destiny. Here's another one, the name of Jacob, which means heel catcher or supplanter. He was really a con artist, Jacob, in his younger days. But God changed his name to Israel, which means he will rule with God. Even in the New Testament, Jesus changed the name of Simon, which meant uh, uh, he who hears or hearing, to Peter, which meant a rock. Jesus looked at him and saw his future and named him according to what he was going to do with him. And so the impetuous, compulsive Simon Peter was, was named Peter the Rock, and we see Peter the Rock walking down the streets of Jerusalem in his later years, solid in Jesus, his shadow healing people. One commentator wrote, to know the name of God is to understand the character of God. Very important. The name is a part of the person or an extension of the personality of God. So God was very careful to share with us in the Old Testament names by which he named himself. He used names as a means of progressively revealing who he was. For example, in Exodus 6-3, God said these words, And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah, I was not yet known to them. So they understood Almighty God, but Jehovah was yet to come. Jehovah was yet to be revealed. It was progressive. It was an unfolding as God revealed his character, revealed his, his characteristics, revealed his person through his names. We know that Abraham did use the name Jehovah in Genesis twenty two fourteen, but God did not make him known in its full significance, in its full redemptive aspect until later. So in Exodus 6, 3, God promises to reveal himself to his people in a new way. That is, he began to associate his name with a new understanding of his character. Then in the next few verses, we are told that the significance to Israel of the name Jehovah grew to include its association with redemption and salvation. Jehovah meant salvation. It meant redemption. And God began to reveal himself, not just as almighty God, but as the redeemer, as the savior, as the one who would cover our sins. And as time passed, he revealed himself, for instance, as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and provides. Thank God for that. And Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. And Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our banner. And Jehovah Rophi, the Lord is our healer. And he revealed himself by these names. As time marched on, God unfolded the glory and the multifaceted nature of his character. I'm your healer. I'm your peace. I'm your redeemer. I'm your protector. I am there. In addition to using names to reveal his character, God also used his name to manifest his presence. 
I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's power in the name of God, and there is power in the name of Jesus, as we're about to see. There is power, and with that name comes the presence of God. For instance, at the dedication of the temple, Solomon acknowledged that God was omnipresent and that no temple could contain him, and he was right. Since God fills the universe, Solomon asked how the temple, a man-made structure, could possibly contain God. How can that be? Then he answered his own question by reminding God of his own promise, which said this, my name shall be there. My name shall be there. And my name carries my presence. Can everybody say with me how sweet the name of Jesus is? Isn't it a wonderful name? And God said, here's how my presence is going to be there. My name shall be there. Now, although God's omnipresence could not be confined to the temple, yet the fullness of his character was represented by his name. And by his name, he dwelled there. Solomon went on to pray these words. Oh God, I pray that all people of the earth may know your name. Once again, this links the name of God with a revelation of his character. You know what I want to do as pastor of this church and what I want us to do together as a people? I want to make the name of Jesus known the way it was supposed to be known worldwide. I want to make his name known. Instead of Jesus being infamous, I want him to be famous. I want to make Jesus famous again, not that he needs my help. He's already famous, but I want to preach Jesus and him crucified, and I want to preach Jesus as the healer and as our peace and as our wholeness and as our completion. I want to preach Jesus as the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and the power of God and the salvation of God and the Redeemer of God. I want to make the name of Jesus known. God told Pharaoh, and in very deed, Pharaoh, for this cause have I raised you up. Why? To show in you my power and that my name, my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So as God dealt with Pharaoh in Egypt, God's motivation was that the name of God, the reality of God, the power of God would be known throughout the entire earth. So watch this. The name of God represents his presence, his character, his power, and his authority. The name of God represents his presence. The name of God represents his character, his power, and his authority. But Scripture expands even more on the importance God places on his name. God demands, watch this, fear, that is reverence and respect for his name. It might be a shock to some people to know that God's last name does not start with a capital D. God demands reverence for his name. Deuteronomy 28 says he commands man not to take his name in vain. That's why when we utter the name of God, it ought to be with respect. It ought to be with honor because his name is to be honored. So God says, don't you pollute my name, but speak it with respect. God warns his people not to forget his name, not to forget it. The psalmist wrote, if we had forgotten, if we had forgotten the name of our God, or stretch out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? 
when you forget the name of God, when you no longer utter the name of Jesus in love, when, you, when his name becomes foreign to you, God notices that. That's why his name is going to be honored in this house. When we walk in, we ought to be saying, thank you, Jesus. When we leave, we ought to be saying, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. God promises a blessing for those who know his name. How many of you in here want to be blessed? All right, now watch this. God promises a blessing for those who know, really understand his name. Listen to what it says. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. And then listen to the psalmist. Because the believer has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. When you know the name of God, when you understand who he is, when you love him and you speak his name with respect, when you meditate on his name, there is a blessing that comes on your life. You can't help it. You can't stop it. God's going to bless you because there is power and authority in the name of Jesus and the name of God. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that when the fullness of time came, God satisfied the longings of his people and the long wait for him and fulfilled his word through his prophets by revealing himself in all of his power and glory through one name, the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know why you came today, but I came to preach Jesus up. Amen, because I know there's a blessing in the name of Jesus. And how many of you can say today, I love Jesus? Isn't he the darling of your heart? Is he the apple of your eye? Is he the love of your soul? Do you love Jesus today? If you do, give him a hand of praise. Amen. You say, well, they're a little radical in here. Let me tell you about what radical is. If you watched that game last night, (laughs) then you saw some radical folks. Now, isn't it something that we can paint ourselves green or whatever color, wear funny hats, shout ourselves hoarse, and we're called a fan? And all that's over somebody carrying a pigskin across grass. But you can... Come into the house of God, shout about the goodness of God, give praise to the glory of God, exalt the name of God, and you're called a fanatic. Now, how important is the name of Jesus? The word Jesus is from the Greek word Iesus which in turn comes from the Hebrew word Joshua. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. So the name Jesus literally means Jehovah Savior, Jehovah our salvation, or Jehovah is salvation. 
This is why the angel said, and they shall bring forth a son, or she shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins and from the consequences of sin. Although others have been named Joshua or Jesus down through the years, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who actually lived up to that name and could own the true meaning behind the name Jesus. He's the only one that that name really fully describes. Jesus is the culmination of all the Old Testament names. Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Jehovah Nissi, our banner. Jehovah Rophi, our healer. He's the culmination of all of those. His name is the highest, most exalted name ever revealed to mankind. The name Jesus fulfills all the compound names of Jehovah. The name of Jesus is the name of God that he promised to reveal when he said through the prophet Isaiah, therefore my people shall know my name. So Jesus is our Savior, and Jesus is our salvation from sin and from all of sin's consequences. Thank God for the name of Jesus. But Peter, watch this, in the Pentecost sermon that we just looked at, not only called him Lord, but called him Christ. He said that God had made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Now let me talk to you about that name Christ for a minute because when we talk about Jesus, I often call him Christ the Lord. I will pray with somebody in the name of Christ. I preached a funeral this week and I prayed over the family in the name of Christ. So for me, they're interchangeable, but they mean two different things. The word Christ is pronounced Christos in the Greek language, and it means anointed or anointed one. According to Old Testament law, priests and kings and prophets were supposed to be anointed for their particular offices, and every one of those offices were different. The prophet was different from the king, the king different from the priest, and they were all to be anointed in the name of God to fulfill that role. But watch this, the Christ or the Messiah combines all three of these anointings in one. He is the priest, our high priest. He is the prophet and he is the soon coming king. Jesus is prophet and he's priest and he's king. The Christ or the Messiah, all of these things in one, prophet, priest and king. This is why Isaiah, when prophesying of the coming Messiah, said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. And when Jesus preached his first hometown sermon, this is what he stood and quoted, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me. What has he anointed me to be? Prophet, priest, and king. We need to understand today that the term Christ or Messiah was a title rather than a proper name. Let me give you an example. Most of you here today know me as Pastor Jeff. Now, in that title, or in those two words, are two things. There is an office, and there is a proper name. Pastor is my title, and it refers to the office that I hold. But Jeff is my name, and it refers to me as a person. Jesus is his name, and Christ is the office he holds. He is the Christ, God's anointed king, 
priest and prophet. So there are times I say Jesus because I know him as my friend. I know him as Jesus. I know him as the person. But many times when I'm praying for the sick, I'm appealing to the anointing of the Messiah. So I say in Christ's name. So when I say Lord Jesus Christ, I'm acknowledging him as a person. And then I'm acknowledging his office. He is Jesus Christ. He is Christ the Lord. He is Christ Jesus. His office and his person. You know, I studied the Bible and this really hit me that Simon Peter first knew the Lord as Jesus, the person. He called him Jesus. But when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Simon got a revelation from God and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus smiled and said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven, because you got it, Simon Peter. I'm not just Jesus, but I am God's Christ. That's my office. That's who I am. Jesus is his name and Christ is his office. Three times in the New Testament, are you ready? Jesus accepted the title of Christ. He did not refute people who called him Christ. So either he was crazy or he was exactly who the Bible says he is. When Peter said it, he said, God showed that to you, Peter, and he did not refute it. When the high priest asked him if he was Christ, the son of the blessed, he said, I am And when the woman at the well said to him, quote, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm not just Jesus. I'm the Christ. Now, church, let's get down to brass tacks. As a New Testament church, we are to be identified by the name of Jesus Christ. What makes a church a church? We identify with Jesus Christ. We acknowledge the Christhood of Jesus, and we acknowledge that he was all man and all God. He was the God-man and the man-God. He came to die for our sins, rise from the dead, and he has been anointed king, prophet, and priest, and Messiah. We identify with the name of Jesus Christ. When you walk into a church, you ought to hear Jesus everywhere in a good way. You ought to hear it spoken in love. You ought to hear it spoken with authority. You ought to hear it spoken with affection. You ought to hear it spoken with confidence. You ought to hear that name preached when somebody stands up to preach. Jesus said, watch this. We would be hated among all men. Why? For his name's sake. The early church was persecuted for the name of Jesus. The high priest and the Pharisees said to Peter and the disciples, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in that name? And they beat the disciples for using the name. They didn't beat them for standing up and giving motivational speeches. They didn't beat them for standing up and saying good things to people. They beat them for using the name of Jesus. Why in the world would that be such a lightning rod? Because there's power in that name. There's authority in that name. That name searches the hearts of men and women. That name is given among men whereby we might be saved. And it's the only name. Paul spoke boldly in the name of Jesus among the Jews. And they attempted to kill him for it. 
The disciples are described in Acts 15, 26 as men who had risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they considered it a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for his name. You know, you can get with a group of secular intellectuals in our day and talk about God until your tongue blisters over and they will not care. But you say the name of Jesus one time and it's like you put on some kind of skunk perfume. They get out of there. They can't stand the name of Jesus. Talk about God all day long uh, and, and, and the, the, the force that is out there in the universe. Go ahead and talk about God all day, but say with affection, Jesus, and you'll empty out the nearest elevator. Say the name Jesus, and that separates you from others. The name of Jesus. So follow me now. There was then And there always has been and always will be an issue over the name. Now, I want to help you today. I'm going to save you some trouble today. If you'll listen to what I'm going to say, because you ought not be surprised when you get persecuted for using the name. You ought not be surprised when you experience some flack for using the name. You ought to... Not be amazed at the fiery trial which comes to try you if you identify yourself with the name. To those who love him, his name is wonderful. But to a godless, sin-infected, rebellious world, the name brings forth an angry, distasteful, and a reactionary response. Which brings me to the Christmas issue that is now rocking our country. Why does the ACLU bother the Against Christian Liberties Union? Why do they bother to try to shut down nativity scenes and shut down churches and stop people from using the name? Because there's power in the name. There's salvation in the name. There is a force in the name. There is redemption in the name. There is social change in the name. The name of Jesus will make you or break you. Why is the name Christmas an issue in our land. The battle continues to rage right now. I've seen so many news stories on it already. It's amazing to me. Department stores and elsewhere have told their employees, you say happy holidays, but don't you say Merry Christmas. Now that's just got to make you stop and wonder. Why can't I say Merry Christmas? I, I was at a store the other day and the woman said happy holidays. And I think I scared her to death. I turned around and said, Merry Christmas. She went, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas to you too. <laughs> Why are they told don't say Merry Christmas, but you, you can say Happy Holidays? Now, spare me the intellectually insulting argument that this denial of free speech and of my First Amendment right to say Merry Christmas has to do with a desire to be inclusive of other religions. It makes no sense at all to include other religions if you must exclude mine in order to cater to theirs. It doesn't make sense. Now, stay with me because I can hear some of you thinking, well, no, you should make this this big a deal out of this. Now, let me get honest with you for a minute. Have major department stores really 
Have businesses really all over America received some overwhelming number of complaints from Jewish people and Muslims and others that they were offended by the term Merry Christmas? We know better. It's usually a tiny handful, the squeakiest wheel. It is never a majority because the majority of Americans want Christmas, love Christmas, want to say Merry Christmas, and this is not their intent or will. If those who have now forbidden the use of Merry Christmas have been so greatly and nobly touched by the spirit of fairness and tolerance and big-heartedness toward people embracing faith other than Christianity, how do they sleep at night knowing they have placed a major damper on a season celebrated by an overwhelming majority of Americans? Where's the big aching heart when I can't say or receive from their employees, Merry Christmas. Can I get right down to a church? It has nothing to do with wanting to embrace other faiths, not a thing. It's not an attempt to make better earnings during the Christmas holiday season by being real sure not to offend shoppers of other faiths. That never hurt them before, and it wouldn't hurt them now. And if they started saying Merry Christmas, I want to tell you today, their sales would increase. Let me say something to the major department stores and all of those who send out catalogs saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. If you succeed in removing Christmas from the season and you replace it with some plain, vanilla, meaningless, vague holiday season, the day is going to come when the excitement and the magic and the joy that has surrounded the Christmas season is going to be gutted and there will be no more rushes to shop at your stores and malls and you will wish again for the blessing that Christmas brought to you in the very beginning and you'll want it back. It's not about wanting to make all people feel comfortable at all times. That's not what it is because I don't feel comfortable. I submit to you that it's an issue with the name Christmas because the name of Christmas contains that name Christ. And the name Christ reminds us at least once a year in America that the real reason for the season is Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, who brought love and peace into our world. That God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. And that he is the Christ, the anointed king and prophet and priest. John called anything that attacked the person and mission of Christ a spirit. He wrote these words, little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By which we know that it's the last hour. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You see, when you try to suffocate and squelch and undermine and silence the name of Jesus... According to the Bible, there is a spirit behind it, and it's called the spirit of Antichrist. Because when people are talking about Jesus, celebrating Jesus, lifting him up, somebody's liable to get saved. Somebody's liable to get set free. Somebody's liable to receive some faith and some hope and the belief that their life can be different. 
That name of Jesus is like blowing a trumpet in a quiet room. I'm telling you, his name is powerful. And there's a reason Christmas is being squelched in America and in Europe. And you say, Pastor Jeff, you're going too far, calling it a, a spirit and all of that. But I don't think so, because the Bible says so. Any spirit that attacks the name and the work and the person of Christ comes from a spirit of antichrist. And what is the solution? Those who love the name of Jesus need to stand up and speak up and declare it and get strong and get salty. Isn't it kind of crazy on his birthday? They say, happy holidays. This is a celebration of his birthday. When it's my birthday, you don't say to me, happy special day. Or happy, happy day. You don't say to me, happy, you know what day. (laughs) I say, who are you talking to? You say, happy birthday, Jeff. I don't see these same department stores seeking to rename the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. Or the annual African-American celebration of Kwanzaa. I don't hear a national outcry to rename the annual Muslim observance of Ramadan. Why in the world are they trying to rename and put down and reshape and repackage Christmas? If you take Christmas out of the season, you've gutted it of its entire meaning. Christmas is a celebration of the miracle of Jesus' birth. Christmas holds the magic that it does because of the miraculous wonder God performed on that first Christmas morn. Children don't hang holiday stockings, nor do people cut down holiday trees. We don't go holiday shopping, nor do we sing holiday carols. We don't hang holiday lights. And we don't lay out holiday decorations. We don't invite people over for a holiday dinner. Nor do we open holiday presents. We don't say to our kids, what would you like for the happy holidays? (laughs) We don't go on holiday break. And I can't imagine Santa saying, ho, 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 happy holidays. The classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life, would be gutted of all of its magic if George Bailey repeatedly screamed with all of his might at that tear-jerking ending, Happy Holidays! (laughs) It's when he says, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, with all the love and the giving that makes Christmas real. One newspaper editorialist wrote these words, When I was a kid, America celebrated Christmas. In school, we made Christmas decorations. We got a Christmas break. From my small town grocery store to the big city network television stations, a universal Merry Christmas could be heard. Sometime between my childhood and the present time, American cultural elites began an undeclared war against Christmas, and it has been to devastating effect. 
This Christmas, let's all be honest with each other. Let's not pretend we're celebrating the great winter holiday. Let people everywhere go Christmas shopping without guilt. Let them throw Christmas parties and sing Christmas carols. Let's end the war against Christmas where it started and wish everybody from the Atlantic to the Pacific a very Merry Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season, and I'm telling you today, I happily rebel. (laughs) I refuse to utter the vacuous words, happy holidays. I stick with the name of Jesus, who is called the Christ. Peter stated that the lame man at the gate beautiful was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He then explained the supremacy and the necessity of this name in receiving salvation. He wrote, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but when I called on the name of Jesus, something happened to me. When I called on the name of Jesus, a great weight was lifted off of my shoulders and even a dingy room looked clear and happy and pretty. When I called on the name of Jesus, I got a divine heart transplant. When I called on the name of Jesus, my sins were washed away. I was given a brand new life. There is power in that name. The Apostle Paul wrote these words about the name. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Because of the exalted position of this name, we're exhorted to rely upon the name of Jesus in all that we say or do. Listen to the Bible. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, whatever you say, whatever you do, do all in the name. Let it be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you can't wrap it in the name of Jesus, don't say it and don't do it. We teach and we preach in the name of Jesus. We cast out devils, receive supernatural power and protection, and we pray for the sick in the name of Jesus. We gather together in the name of Jesus. We baptize people in the name of Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Firstborn of every creature, God's unspeakable gift. He is the Lamb of God the good shepherd. Amen. He's our bright and morning star, the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. The Emmanuel, the Holy One, He's the light of the world. He's the day spring. He's the Word. He's God's servant. He's the King. He's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, and He is our Savior, our Shiloh, and the Ancient of Days. His name is Jesus. Amen. To the artist, he's the one altogether lovely. 
To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, he's the son of righteousness. To the baker, he's the living bread, thank God. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he is the life. To the carpenter, he's the sure foundation. To the educator, Jesus is the great teacher. To the farmer, he's the sower and the Lord of the harvest. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he's the true vine. To the judge, he's the righteous judge. To the juror, he's the true witness. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the editor, he's the good tidings of great joy. To the optometrist, he's the light of the eyes. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God. To the printer, he's the true type. I like that. To the servant, he's the good master. To the student, he's the incarnate truth. To the weary, he's the giver of rest. To the sinner, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. To the Christian, he is the Son of the living God, the Savior, the Redeemer, and the Lord, and the soon coming King of kings. His name is Jesus. Let's stand and give him praise, everybody. Go ahead and give Jesus praise. Thank you, Lord. Pastor Jeff, why are you so worked up about all this? Well, because I see our culture sinking. And you know what? It needs to hear clear preaching, clear teaching, clear communication on the person of Christ. And what I just read about him and said about him barely scratches the surface. This little baby born in Bethlehem that people like to imagine scratching under his chin and saying goo-goo and gaga to grew up. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Taught us everything we need to know about life and living was crucified and rose from the dead for us. And whether or not you accept him, the day is going to come when that baby is going to come again. Not as the Lamb of God, but as the Lion of Judah. And every, na- every, every person who's ever been born is going to bow to that name. They're going to call him who he is, Lord and Christ. And so you know what? When you go to a restaurant in just a minute, tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody. I tell them everywhere I go. I take my pulpit with me everywhere I go. I gave away all my cards, my business cards I had this week about the radio show at a funeral. I preach Jesus at the funeral. And everywhere I go and talk to people about him, you know what? Rarely do I get turned off. People say, really? And they want to hear it. You're the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And so I pray that God blesses your Christmas with a fresh reality of the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your presence. I pray that everyone here today 
would embrace you with all of their heart and receive you. With every head bowed for a moment, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with him, but I've gotten away. And wouldn't it be a great, great Christmas present to give yourself if you were to say, I want to come back to him. I want to walk with him with all of my heart. Or maybe you've never known the miracle of being born again. That can happen to you today. He'll give you a new heart. There's power in calling on that name. Would you let me pray with you? If you're in either one of those categories, you've gotten away from him, or you want to be sure that you know him personally, this is your day. If you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Put it up high where I can see you. God bless you and God bless you. I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you if your hand is